How are you? Good. Awesome. Nothing more Kansan saying, how are you? How are you? Howdy. 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 I didn't do it. All right. Well, good morning again. It's good to see everybody. Uh, good to be together. And it's great to have an opportunity to, as a community to just sit and dwell on God's word. Because that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to sit on God's word if you want to up to John chapter 21. It's where we're mostly going to be this morning. I have a question for you. Did you know the Bible and Shrek have something in common? Oh, it has nothing to do with Mike Myers. Let me say that. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what it is. Thank you. Well, you skipped a step. They're both like onions. If you've seen Shrek, you know what I'm talking about. You know that movie is like how many years old now? It's, it, it could be, if it was your child, you'd be an empty nester now. Let's say that. <laughs> but <laughs> the Bible's like an onion. There are many layers you can peel back and see more and more. We, we use these analogies as we talk about the beauty of God's scripture. We, uh, uh, if you've taken or listen to Sunday school classes, or, or, or Tony has a YouTube channel now. He talks about, look at your fish. And that analogy, some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Now that you are like, what does that mean? Google it. Okay. Or the Bible can be like a gemstone or a kaleidoscope. When you turn it, you see things differently. I say that all to preface. John 21 has many layers. There is no way I can address or we can talk about all these layers within a tight 45 minutes or whatever you're going for this morning. There's no way. So I want to preface that. I want to peel back some of them this morning because there's something incredible happening in John 21 between specifically Jesus and Peter. You know, we've been going through this, this eight weeks, I believe now, series of The Invitation. And we're inviting people to experience the gospel. And we're trying to get beyond what we've learned, probably just picking up from Veggie Tales or Churchianity or whatever. But it's more than, hey, do you want to come to church with me? What does that mean? Hey, do you want to study the Bible? What does that mean? Hey, you should give Jesus your life. These things, these bumper sticker sayings we have as Christians, and we know what it means. It's kind of code. But what does that actually mean to, to people that don't know? So we're, we're cutting deep, and we've talked about multiple things. We've talked about we're invited to follow, and what does that actually mean to, uh, to follow? And who is invited to follow? Uh, we talked about, Ken talked about, we're invited to peace, and what peace really means in light of how, how, how our society defines peace. Uh, Randy Ware came in, and he talked about being invited to community. Man, if there's peop the thing that people need in this world is community. Right. Healthy community, life-giving community. And then we've been sitting on, for the past couple weeks now, this idea of being invited to experience forgiveness, to give forgiveness, and to, to, to be led into restoration. And that's not only between one another, but that also, it's, it's like the domino effect, right? That also leads us to being restored to God in an incredible way. We're going to see that occur here in John chapter 21. Let's start off with a prayer, shall we? Please bow your heads with me and let's pray. Father, you are awesome. 
You are so awesome. Thank you, God, for being our creator, for being our deliverer, protector. Thank you for carrying us when we can't take one more step. God, I, I, I pray for your spirit to guide this time, for your, your message to be made clear through your word. It has been. So maybe, God, what I'm praying is that we, together as a community, can, can take a step back and, and, and set aside our own narrative we've been building through the week. Set aside whatever we're feeling and to be able to humbly come before you and sit at your feet and learn from Jesus. I pray for that this morning. God, help me to get out of the way. And we thank you. We thank you for this time. Please lead us, God. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. 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 All right, here we go. We're invited back to God's story. We're invited back to God's story. I might have bit off a little more than I can chew this morning. I'm trying to do a few things, and I'm being vulnerable and transparent. I want to bring us to kind of a place of wrapping up a little bit this conversation we've been having on forgiveness and restoration. The bigger conversation over the past two months over being invited. It's kind of hot in here, isn't it? Be invited, the invitation. And I also want to really get us thinking about we're going to be starting another sermon series next week, which, surprise, it's a continuation of what we've been talking about. Are you catching on to a pattern here? Nothing's ever over. Can you imagine, and, and this, is pro, this is not my wheelhouse, but can you imagine if you were like builder construction or whatever, and you have like your circular saw and you use your circular saw and it's, you're getting the job done with it, and then someone says, hey, here's another tool you need for the job. And you're like, awesome. You take your circular saw, you're like, okay, and you just yeet into the trash can. I don't need that anymore. And then you take this other tool and you use it. That doesn't make sense. What would you do with that circular saw? You put it aside, put it in your toolbox because you're going to need it later. You're gonna, you might need to keep it right here because you need to keep using it. It's kind of like these series that we do. We're never done with them. We keep them. We use them. And they build on one another. Amen. I feel like I have to say that because it's so important. That's so important. So we're going to be reading Luke. And we're going to be in Luke. Let me tell you, it's going to be great. Um, we're going to be going over. It's going to be 12 weeks, y'all. We're going in Luke. Yeah, I love the response to that. Wow. Let's do it. And then next, we're going through Leviticus. Oh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Hold on. Wait a second. Hold on. Hey, I just had to, you know, take advantage of the opportunity. We're not going through that next. I don't know. Maybe. We'll see where God leads us. There's some major themes we've been unpacking for a long, long time now. Honestly, some of these themes have been years in conversations in our community. But God is restoring a broken world, and he's looking for partners. That's our purpose. That's what we're doing. The invitation to experience gospel life, it doesn't expire. So, yeah, okay, we might, we might not be talking about specifically the invitation after today, but that never expires. Let these lessons not leave our hearts. Let word, that language never leave our lips. Amen? Amen. All right, is this enough prefacing or what? You guys ready to read some scripture? Okay. A couple things I want to give you. If you black out here in two minutes and remember nothing else, you're like, I don't even know what he said. Remember this. Jesus is the ultimate 
restorer. He restores us to our place in God's story. Being a restorer like Jesus, it means leaning in to meet people in, in their fear and shame. Dealing with their heart. We've been talking about that. Dealing with their heart and reminding them of who they are in Christ, who they are in God's eyes. Where we allow fear and shame in our feelings to lead our own stories, Jesus restores us back to God's story. So you forget everything after this. Hold on to that, okay? I like to throw a couple questions out there for people that like to let questions roll around in their minds. These are big questions we're going to sit on this morning. How do we become restorers like Jesus? How do we do that? And what exactly are we being restored to? What does that mean to be restored back to God's story? Okay? All right. Can we go in? Wasn't there like a Bible show where you like jumped into the Bible and you like went, was that a thing? Okay, let's do that. Let's pretend that's a thing and let's jump into the Bible and, and, and read. Here's your handles. Lean in and remind them. Lean in and remind them. You're like, what does that mean? Well, let's find out. Peter, if you've read the Gospels at all, you, you probably know Peter's a character. He's kind of a ringleader when it comes to the disciples. He's more than likely the oldest. Uh, probably in his 20 or early 20s, um, and we have evidence from that from the gospel messages. Um, but he's an interesting, he's really bold. He says stuff that none of the other disciples would like, dare say, at least what we have recorded, right? Do you know what I mean? He is just a character. And we're like, Jesus, why would you choose this guy to be the rock in which you built your church? Why would you pick him? This is not the, I'm, guys, I'm sorry. This is not the person I would pick. I want the most on-point, intellectual, charismatic, give me that person, right? Are you with me? Yeah. Isn't that what we do? Yeah. It is what we do. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. Um, remember how I said turn to John 21? Yeah. Actually, turn back to John 13. Okay. I want to give a little background here because this is going to be incredibly significant. Um, I'm making an excuse to indulge a little bit more in, in geeking out with you this morning. Because right. tomorrow night, uh, our, our, our young discussion group may or may not be happening because it's Labor Day. So I'm going to use this as an excuse to dive a little deeper okay. with you guys. That, we call that justification, right? John 13. This is an example of Peter doing something incredibly bold. In verse 6. He came to, this is Jesus, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. It's pretty bold to say to your teacher, you do what they say. <laughs> Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, 
but my hands and my head as well. Peter is known for making bold declarations, and we see this pattern also throughout the rest of the gospel. Still here in, in, in chapter 13, they have this moment where Jesus is predicting that Peter is going to deny him. Peter, you've put yourself out there. You've compared your love for me to the other disciples by making this bold claim. You said, you said, Peter, that you love me this much. Okay. You guys with me? All right, verse 36 here in chapter 13. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Peter's like, what? What is this? He's so fixated on his own perception of Jesus that he can't see. Let's keep crawling along here in John. Let's go to John 18. We're looking at these. these are, this is like a montage of Peter and Jesus, okay? A little montage here. John 18, verse 15. This is after Jesus is arrested. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You are one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. Peter just denied his discipleship of Jesus. I am not his disciple. I am not his disciple. That's pretty clear. It was cold. Listen to this. Remember this part. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire, a charcoal fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Go down to verse 25. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there, warming himself next to the fire. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, whoops, awkward, challenged him, did I see you with him in that garden? Again, Peter denied it. At that moment, a rooster began to crow. I want you to think about this. Imagine you're Peter, and, this, and Jesus has been your rabbi, the most important figure in your life for the past three years. You've made these bold public statements in front of the other disciples that you're going to lay down your life for him, that you love him so much, there's, you can't wash my feet. He's put himself out there, hasn't he? And then he publicly denies Jesus three times denies his discipleship of Jesus. Do you think Peter's going to hit that moment or those moments? That's ingrained in your head. Jesus and Peter, their relationship has been deeply wounded in this. Deeply wounded. So something we're going to look at here. Now let's go to 21. 
that's the context, okay? That's the context. Some things are going to pop out here. And, and I, you know, I made some notes, but let's just read the word and let the word speak. Keep in mind these ideas. There's multiple layers here. Not only are we going to be looking at and learning how, how Jesus navigates restoring his relationship with Peter, but how in that same process, he's restoring Peter to God and his place within God's story. Okay? 20 verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the, by the Sea of Galilee. And it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. And this is so random. Just out of nowhere, Peter being Peter, I'm going fishing. Okay, that doesn't mean let's get your tackle box and let's find a watering hole and hang out. No, what was Peter before he was the disciple of Jesus? He was a fisherman. After all this has happened, Jesus has died. And, and we don't explicitly know if Peter was there when Jesus had previously revealed himself to the other disciples. Where is Peter at in his heart? Where is he at in his heart? I'm going back. I'm going back to what I know. I'm going back to my defaults. You know, I, I have to imagine that Peter never forgot his denying of Jesus. And I have to imagine the impact that had on him. The shame. The shame that probably produces. The fear. And I have to imagine that's where Peter is at. And that's what drives him back to, I'm going to go back and be a fisherman. Didn't Jesus explicitly call his disciples to carry on his ministry? Is Peter doing that? What's driving Peter's story right now? His own hurt, his own fear, his own trauma. Who's been there? Who's been there? Who's there? We'll go with you, because I, I don't know, maybe they had nothing better to do, or maybe they're in a similar place as Peter. So they went out and got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus in true fashion. They like, never recognized him, right? <laughs> and he calls out to them. Ears might say children. Uh, that's in a term of endearment. Friends. Friends. Got any fish? Got fish. Uh, no, they answered. Why is this dude yelling at us from the shore? And isn't that kind of weird? I'm a fisherman, but do I have fish? No. <laughs> Who said the Bible's not funny? Come on. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Hold on a second. When has that happened before? When they were first called. What are they feeling in their hearts? Oh. What is Peter feeling? He's like, hold on. I've heard that before. This has happened. I've been here. I don't know if they knew what deja vu was, but deja vu. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, It's the Lord! 
as soon as Simon Peter heard him say that, he wrapped his outer garment around him because he had taken it off. Some of your translations might say, because he had nothing on. I think literally some say that. And, yep. <laughs> and jumped into the water. I'm just saying, can you imagine those, you know, the big cloaks they wear? Like, you really going to fish in that? And we have all these paintings of the, the fishermen, and they're fishing with these long cloaks on. No, no. No, no. Essentially, and not to be too explicit, but they just wore a loincloth. That's what they worked in. Right? You're out there. You're on the lake, let's see, or whatever. And it's just you and the guys. That's cool. As long as it, when you get back on shore, that you can put your cloak back on and be proper, right? Right? Peter doesn't care. He grabs it, wraps it around real quick. That's stuff kids do. Just wrap it around real quick. No, get dressed. No, no, no. I'm just going to put it on real quick. And he jumps into the water. Doesn't it say that? Hold on. What's a la last time Peter, wasn't he walking out to meet Jesus on the water? And he started drowning. What did he say? I can't swim. So unless Peter went to his local YMCA and took some swimming lessons between then and now, I'm pretty sure this guy cannot swim. What is driving him? His love for Jesus. To be restored to Jesus. How cool is that? Also, you're like, wow, that is crazy. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing their net full of fish, for they were not, for they, listen to this, they weren't even that far from the shore. How many of us, when we have conflict with someone, we're like, I'm going to wait until it's convenient. Couldn't Peter have just said, all right, guys, let's, let's hurry up and go back to the shore. Let's, let's sail to the shore. Let's get there. That wasn't fast enough for him. What is the heart of Jesus when you have conflict with somebody? How quickly should you handle that? Then, right then, Peter, he knows his relationship with Jesus has been wounded. What does he do? I don't care if I'm naked or going to drown. I'm going to him. I'm going to him. How ready are you for restoration? Oh, wait. I'll wait till I see him at Sunday. Then I'll have a conversation. Really? Is that, the, is that the best time? Is that what we got? I know, I know Peter's a goofy guy, but let's bring Peter in this way. You guys feel that? It's something. When they landed, they saw, guys, listen to this. <laughs> when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. There with fish on it and some bread. And I have to imagine Peter wiping water off his face, looking out, and he sees Jesus, and he sees a charcoal fire. And he's like, oh, it's a setup. But the good kind of setup. Jesus knows. Jesus knows where I was when I denied him. I was next to a charcoal fire. And now here's the guy I hurt next to a fire looking at me. And what's Jesus say? Come bring some of that fish you guys just caught. It's a humble thing to say, even though he, like, hooked them up. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It's full of large fish, 153. Even with, even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, now come and have breakfast. Yes, come and have breakfast. None of his disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was him. Jesus came, took the bread, 
and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. How many times did they do that in their ministry together? This had to be an incredibly, incredibly healing moment for Jesus and his disciples. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples and he raised, since he was raised from the dead. Didn't Jesus have every right to say, you suckers, like you could have, why did you leave me? Why did you abandon me? Why weren't you there, Peter? Why did you say that? Couldn't he have done that? What is Jesus doing? All right, okay, yes, yeah, I should have followed my notes. Lean in. That was one of the handles earlier. Lean in. Jesus is leaning into Peter. And we might view that. Have you guys seen, I'm a history teacher, sorry, but like uh, President Johnson, he's famous for like leaning into guys when he's literally yelling in their face and there's so many pictures from, from uh, him leaning into people and in their face. And we think lean in like that, you're wrong. Lean in means to step into a situation that is incredibly uncomfortable. Incredibly uncomfortable. Jesus is about to step in with Peter into his fear and shame and have a conversation. I gotta say something about this. And to some of some of you guys this is incredibly trivial, and that's fine. There's something to breaking bread. To breaking bread. There's a researcher, I let Fishbach and some others who have done experience with negotiation and what role eating has to do with it. What they found through several experiments is that, well, first off, if you're in a negotiation or a conflict resolution and you're just there's no food involved, it's it's harder to cooperate. But what they found is when there's food involved, people are faster to cooperate and come to an agreement. Listen to this. When people eat the same food or ate off the same plate, they came to a place of agreement or cooperation in half the time. There, we look past this so much. We look past this so much. How often did Jesus go eat with people? We're finding out through science now there's something like physiologically with us that when we sit and eat with someone, we, we, we oxytocin, the bonding hormone, we, we share that. We bond with people. Science is finding this out. People like Simon Sinek and other business people are telling corporations and leaders in our society, you got to eat with people because this is how you bond with them and build relationships. Hello, read the Bible. <laughs> Jesus has been doing this. It's kind of hard to be mad at someone when you're eating with them. Something has to be said about that. Something has to be said. I think there's a connection there, too. It's interesting that the conflicts that we often get into are most often with the people that are in our homes the least. I mean, yeah, we fight with our relatives and stuff like that, but I'm talking about division. I wonder what might happen if we break bread together. There's a rabbinic teaching called eat and then educate. Jesus, come and have breakfast. It's more than just a cool line in song. There's deep, deep meaning here. I'm not going to only nourish you physically, but I'm going to nourish you spiritually as well. Okay, all right, does that make sense? Okay, all right. 
Who wants to eat lunch together? Let's do this. <laughs> when they finished eating, Jesus said to, to Simon Peter, Simon, son of a dove. Now, whenever Jesus said this, like Peter had to know, like, Jesus is about to drop something on me. Why is he saying this? It's like saying, you know, with your kid, like, you know, Ren Ariella, like, you know, you got to throw the middle name in there, too. And they're like, oh, hold on, I should listen. <laughs> Simon, son of a dove, do you love me more than these? What is Jesus saying here? He could be pointing at or talking about the fishing net, the fishing hook. What else do fishermen have? Sweaters? I don't know. <laughs> That's a joke. He could be saying, do you love me more than this? But more than likely what Jesus is saying here is the other disciples. Hey, hey, Peter, remember how you boasted and you said you love me so much, you're going to lay your life down for me, you put yourself out there? Do you love me more than these other disciples? Okay, catch what Jesus is doing here. Don't get it twisted. Let's not twist this to our own version of justice and restoration where we're like, I'm going to put this back in your face. Jesus is addressing the sin in the situation. He's not afraid to go eye to eye and say, remember this happened. We're not going to sidestep it. We're not going to sweep it under the rug. Do you really love me more than these other disciples do? Remember how you said that? Okay, are you with me? Yeah. Yes, Lord, he said, you know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of a dove, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know I love you. Okay, do you love me? Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of a dove, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? I have to imagine going on here. Peter knows how many times did he deny Jesus next to a fire? How many times is Jesus asking him if he loves him? He, guys, this is powerful stuff here. Jesus is taking Peter back to the place, back to the hurt, back to where it started, next to a fire. Peter, I believe in you to do what is right. This is an opportunity to make things right. You can do this, Peter. I'm going to ask you three times. You denied me three times. I'm going to give you three times to make it right, to do what is good. And I have to, have you seen that? Okay, I shouldn't reference Goodwill Hunting, but I'm going to. It's one of my favorite movies. They got that scene. Matt Damon and Robin Williams, um, they're in this therapy session. And the, the therapist, Robin Williams is a therapist, and he's digging in deep with, with Matt Damon's character. And you guys probably heard this before. He's like, don't do this, man. Don't do it, because he's digging in. He's sitting with him in his trauma and his hurt and the origin of all. He's like, don't do this to me, man. Don't do this. I have to imagine Peter's kind of like that. He was hurt. Scripture explicitly, John wrote that in there, that he was hurt. He's like, don't do this. Don't, Jesus, please, I don't want to go back to this place where I denied you, where I denied my relationship with you, where I hurt you, where I left you. I've left you. I've gone back to fishing. Don't make me deal with this. It hurts. Who said restoration feels good in the process? 
Jesus had every right, like, like we said, Jesus has, had every right to say, do you love me? Peter says, of course I do. Jesus could have said, yeah, why didn't you say it earlier? Why didn't you say it to a little girl? What does Jesus say instead? Peter, I know you have what it takes to shepherd my flock. We're in your pain. We're in your shame. We're in your guilt. Whatever you want to call it, I'm sitting here with you. I'm eating with you. I'm with you in this place. And I'm going to help take you out of it. I'm going to help restore you to God's story. Do you love me? Because God loves you. He knows you have what it takes to take care of his people. This is who you are, Peter. This is who you can be, Peter. It's interesting how Jesus, we're asking, how do we become restorers like Jesus? Do we see people as God sees people? 2 Corinthians 5, we don't see people in a worldly way anymore. We don't look at each other in a worldly way. We don't judge one another in a worldly way. We look at other people the way God does. And that is hard. Because we do a really good job at making it hard for each other. I do. I like to reflect Ethan more than I reflect Jesus. That's my nature. That's the nature of my flesh. And that hurts people. That does. Galatians 3 says we're clothed in Christ. Do you see Jesus in one another? Can you see Jesus in that other person? Can you see them how God sees them? How far are you willing to go to be prepared to sit with someone in their hurt and shame and restore them? No matter how personal. I don't think it gets a whole lot more personal than what Peter did to Jesus. Because Jesus was going to his death. Does it, any, does it get any more? What happens? Amen. That God raised Jesus from the dead. But does it get any more perilous than someone's going to their grave and deny them? Does it get worse than that? I don't know. That's pretty personal. And yet someone can give me a stank face and I can be thinking about it for weeks. You know exactly what I'm talking about. How far are you willing to go to restore your brother or sister? I'm going to share a story. And this is maybe more of a analogy than anything else um, and I hope it makes sense but I'm going to be vulnerable so my dad has been um, taking care of my grandma I, I don't want to say too much just you know I want to be careful and not just put all my family stuff out there but my, my, my grandfather died less than two years ago my dad moved up to take care of my grandma who died just over a year later my dad was in there in his childhood home with my grandmother who was decaying every day. He didn't have the best childhood. Imagine being in the home where you've experienced trauma, watching your mom die every day. So he's moving back. He moved back. He moved back this week. And um, 
He's driving, he's going to rent a U-Haul, throw his stuff in there, tow his car behind him. And, and my dad's been through a lot, and I know he's been through a lot. His health isn't the greatest. He has a hard time driving. And I kind of, you know, in my concern about myself, I'd kind of thrown out there, hey, what if someone rode back with you? He's like, yeah, but I couldn't ask you guys to do that. That's a lot to ask. Pandemic and, and the newborn. I'm like, yeah, that, that is a lot to ask. Okay, well, let's see how far you can get. Okay. But as I knew, I knew the whole time my dad needs help. He needs someone else there. He needs somebody else there. So the day comes for him to leave. We're calling, checking on him. How far did you get? He doesn't get very far. He doesn't get very far, and he stops and stays the night. Okay, I'm going to have to go get my dad. I'm going to have to go drive and pull like an all-day driving thing. It's going to be hard. Well, maybe I can see how far he gets the next day. Next day comes, see how far he can get. He's calling, he stops, and he talks to us. Um, the trip isn't going well. There's a lot of storms on I-70, a lot of wind, and he's pulling a car. Okay, well, just get a little bit further. Okay, maybe, maybe I do need to go meet my dad. How far can you get? I'm in Colby. Okay, well, and I, I'm, I'm scheming in my mind, guys. I'm scheming. Well, if you keep driving and then I drive, then we can meet here. In my heart, I'm more concerned about what's, what's more comfortable for me. What's the least amount of sacrifice I can put into this situation and still help you. It's not very Jesus-like. We eventually go up to Salina, meet him there, and I drive him back in his U-Haul. And I come to find out, and it got even worse. I'm like, wow, driving this thing is a beast. It's a U-Haul with no cruise control, and we're driving through rain. And, and, he, oh, and he drove for, he didn't know how to turn the radio on, so he drove for... Um, I don't know, six, seven hours with, with nothing but your thoughts. Considering what he was going through, that's hard. He's back. He's, things, are, things, are, things are better. The point is, how far was I willing to go to meet him where he needed somebody? And I was much more concerned with my own Safety and comfortability and making every excuse that I could. But that, what does that mean? I think we can make every excuse possible. We can. There's a million reasons why I can't go sit with someone in that situation. There's a million reasons why I have the right to be angry, to be hurt. And they should never forget that. Right? No, there's not yeah. wheel going our head. Yeah, you know, when John writes this section, the do you love me thing, he writes, he's writing in Greek, and they're certainly not speaking Greek, they're speaking Aramaic, but he does this cool thing where he, he Jesus is using this word agape. When Peter replies, he's using the word phileo. Agape is a sacrificial, committed love that's supposed to be unbreakable. And phileo is, I love you like a friend. What John is telling us by using those two words, that wordplay, he's saying, he's like, Jesus' love is unbreakable, entirely committed. And when we can be like Peter, so easily, like, do we have that level of commitment to one another? I feel like I'm stumbling over my words, 
But I, I hope you see where I'm coming from. How far are we willing to go to restore someone, to, to sit with them in their hurt and shame? What are we waiting for? Are we waiting for the boat to pull up on the shore? We're going to jump in the water and swim to one another. also reminding Peter of his role in God's story this whole time. And he ends this with the same words he started it with. Back in John 21. Jesus said this to indicate, oh, oh, let me back up a little bit here. Let me back up a verse. 18, very truly, I tell you, when you're younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will lead you, or dress you, and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. The interesting thing here with the Greek is that it's not, hey, you need to start over. Go follow me again. Start over. Go get baptized again. No, it's continuous. Keep following me. Keep following me. Google it. Go look it up. Keep following me, Peter. Peter, even in your lowest of lows, even in our hurts, our relationship, I knew who you were in God's eyes. Keep following me. There's more that could be said. We could read the rest of this, this part. Okay, let's, let's, we got to touch on this part. I'm going to paraphrase. Even after this, Peter is like, okay, well, what about John? And if you read a little further, you can see this. What about John? What's going to happen to John? And what does Jesus say to him? He says, what is it to you? You must follow me. Jesus in the restoration of Peter, not only restored their relationship, but restored Peter to God and reminded Peter that you need to trust that story. So where do we come out of this? Where do we come out of this conversation where we're talking about forgiveness? We're talking about restoration. How do we maintain and sustain? We don't, God does. If we go back to our story, well, what about this? What about that? You're focusing on the wrong thing, trusting God's story. He's got this. He's always had it. He has. Trust in God's story. What is that to you? Well, it's really uncomfortable. So what about this situation? What about that? Follow Jesus. And I really hate, I really, what I'm not wanting to do right now is minimize or oversimplify what we spent weeks talking about. But there is something that happens when we each wholeheartedly focus on following Jesus. If we choose to focus on that, I'm not saying brush aside and not deal with hurt and pain, but what's the end goal? It's to restore one another. And I know my second handle was remind them, but maybe we need to be reminded as well of who we are in God's story. I like to leave people with a little bit of stuff to think about. 
a little bit of ambiguity for you to ruminate on throughout the week. What does it look like for you to be a restorer like Jesus? In these situations, if you're not in a situation, you will be. (laughs) If you've not experienced hurt, you will. Some of you are laughing. It's the painful truth. In those moments, are we more focused on ourselves being comfortable and sacrificing as little, or we're focused on helping one another be restored to Jesus? Amen? Amen. I'm going to say it again. If you've blacked out for the last 30 minutes or whatever, Jesus is the ultimate restorer. Okay? There's a lot of cool people who have a lot of cool podcasts and books, and we should learn from them, but Jesus is the ultimate restorer. Restoring us to our place in God's story. Let's be like Jesus. Let's lean in when it hurts. Lean in when it's uncomfortable. And step in and sit with people. Deal with their hearts. And remind them of who they are in God's story. Where is Jesus calling you to be a restorer? We've talked a lot about a lot of things the past eight weeks. Restoring people to peace. Restoring people to community. Maybe forgiveness. I don't know. What does that mean for you? What are you going to do? How are you going to incorporate this into your heart? As we continue our walk in exploring God's story, we're going to be going through Luke, like I mentioned earlier, uh, for, for a while. Into the holidays. Let's bring these invitations with us. God's restoring the world back to him. And we have an incredibly important role to play as his people, inviting our broken fellow humanity back into a place of healing and peace. The only way we're going to be able to do that is to draw nearer to the heart of Jesus. It's the only way. No other way will work. So as we take communion, let's turn with me to John 15. We're going to focus on what it means to draw near to the heart of Jesus. We're going to focus on what it means to remain and be restored to God's story. And let this guard our hearts and minds during our time of communion together. John 15. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because the word I've spoken to you remain in me, and I also will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As a Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. 
If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy is complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no, no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Didn't Jesus show us that in John 21? You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I call, I've called you friends. For everything I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in the name of the Father will give you. In my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Ready for it? Love each other. Let's pray, and let's take communion together. Our Father... Thank you for making us and for believing in us and for knowing us, even when we've totally lost sight of ourselves and one another. Forgive us as we sin and help us to forgive one another. God, we look to Jesus, who is the ultimate example of restoring broken humans to you. We want to be like you, God. We want to be like Jesus. We want to be with you. We want to be near to your heart. Help us, God. Help us as we restore our brother and sister. Help us as we are restored. And God, give us the clarity. Give us the vision. Give us the wisdom. Give us the hope to see ourselves, and I say ourselves, all of us together, Father, within your story. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.